Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! There was time now. There was. And boy, all these months of isolation sure makes you feel a little bit crazy, doesn't it? Uh, yes, yes it does. Not, but I mean, like, like, listen, it's not like they've seen the episode. You know what we're... <laughs> I was going for a segue. You're supposed to back I mean, me up on that. I have been quarantined away from society for long enough that I almost tried to do a Joker laugh, and then I caught myself and realized I would never live it down, so I'll just... You you can cut in like a classic Mark Hamill Joker laugh there if you want. <laughs> that is probably for the best. Uh, I've definitely caught myself like sort of humming it to myself, like it was a song that was stuck in my head. <laughs> anyway, the joke we were making is it's pretty nuts out there, and getting nuts the longer we're in here. So we're talking about the Joker. Yes, it's something. I think it's like his 80th anniversary of of existence. The Joker. They they are starting to. Put anniversaries on everything so that they can crank out more books. But anyway, that is a loose way to tie this into reality. It's it's the Joker's 80th anniversary, the classic laughing fish anniversary. If you're if you're married that long, remember to get your <laughs> wife the laughing fish. It's important. <laughs> so we've got another dueling lists episode. We've each brought our top five, I guess, portrayals or adaptations, whoever you want to call it. Our top five, th- you know, Jokers. And uh, let's uh, let's jump right into it. Uh, Graham, why don't you hit us with your number five? Okay. I'm going to say from the outset that I love the concept of the Joker, and I, you know, we discussed comic book interpretations and things like that, but I there aren't that many stories, like Joker-centric stories, that really resonate with me the way there are for certain other characters. He's just so omnipresent. There's always a good Joker story. There's always a new Joker story. The biggest ones are... I guess, the killing joke. Um, But that is more remembered for how the Gordons are treated in it than necessarily anything Joker does in it. And Brian Boland's amazing art and now the somewhat controversial choices made by Alan Moore, the writer, and and how what the Joker did. I mean, I might fight you on that about the whole one bad day thing, but I I hear what you mean. Maybe we'll hit an honorable mention a little later. (laughs) Okay, so I'm gonna. I, I focused more on portrayals in TV and movies, and uh, I'm gonna start with number five, Jack Nicholson. <laughs> That's my number five as well. <laughs> Jack Nicholson is Jack Napier as the Joker in 1989's Batman. One of the first and maybe only time Joker has really had a, a confirmed real name. And sometimes that's used in other interpretations of the character, that specific name, Jack Napier. But usually he's just the Joker and his whole past is a mystery. The Okay, well, so I've got my notes, you've got your notes. It's interesting because my list of the Joker is sort of like how I saw the evolution of the character. Interesting. And... When I, and when I'm talking about Jack Nicholson as Jack Napier doing the Joker, I find that his performance is very much like two different characters. I think that, and I'm very wow. impressed by it, but I think the gangster Joker and the Joker Joker seem to be very separate. And I think what he does, like what he's trying for, like to make it like such an unstable personality, is that you know, on the one hand he's just kind of this gangbanger. 
before he goes in, like, then switches to the crazy manic thing. But the reason it's at number five on my list is because I feel like those two don't overlap very well. Well, yeah, that was one of the reasons it, it was at the bottom to me, partly because I didn't see the distinction as much between the two versions. He starts out as a gangster, he has his accident with the vat of acid, and he he gets crazier and more but more confident and he still stays as a gangster really like he his right, ambitions very much. yeah his ambitions don't change he's just a more aggressive gangster and so it didn't that isn't to me what i want to see in a, a portrayal of the joker i like a joker as i'm sure we'll see that's a bit more chaotic and a, and less easy to pin down there his wants and needs are less specific yeah, I think I, I suspect we're we're describing this like two different sides of the same coin. Like I look at the scenes where, like when he when he's bringing all the mob bosses under his control, and he's clearly just a gangster. Like he happens to be wearing purple, but that's it. And then he goes up to the one guy who doesn't want to be a part of it and kills him with a joy buzzer. Right. And then, like, he's just a gangster character, just a gangster character. And then, as soon as he grabs the buzzer, all of a sudden the giggling comes out. Yeah, and it's to me it was like a like a light switch, where he he went from just being just this you know 30s ish noir villain to oh that's the character I remember from the comic books and then sort of switched it right back. Yeah, I I think one thing that that hurts that scene for me, and I'm pretty sure the movie came out later, but there's a similar scene in The Untouchables where Robert De Niro is Al Capone, and there's a gangster who boss who who isn't really giving him the due respect, and then he, like, beats him to death with a baseball bat at this big fancy gathering. And so it doesn't strike me as that out of whack with how real gangsters, or at least, you know, fictionalized real gangsters would react in the world. It's just, it's a joy buzzer instead of a baseball bat. Yeah, it's like it, it, didn't, it's like it didn't take it far enough. Right. Now, on the other hand, there is some really ridiculous stuff in that. I mean, like, like give him the credit where credit's due. Like, he's got a lot of the gag weapons that don't always show up in later portrayals of the Joker. Like, he's you know, he's got the flower on his lapel that shoots acid. He's yeah. got the hand buzzer. He kills a guy with a quill at one point. Like, so that's kind of cool to see. He's got sort of the clown retinue. I think I think one of the things that does set him apart, I, and, and as far as the portrayal goes, he's very much... Jack Nicholson just being Jack Nicholson for most of the movie. You know, there's that famous moment in The Departed, which again, came out years and years later, but he's supposed to be a mob boss, a terrifying mob boss and that, and he does this weird rat face thing that's sort of out of place in the movie, but would be perfectly in place in a Joker portrayal, and yet it's, you know, 20 years later in a completely different movie, and it's just Jack Nicholson being himself. And so it works well. I think the things that I, I that really stick with me as especially super villainy and menacing about him are his smile. Of all the Jokers, I think his smile is the most unsettling because it really feels inhuman. It's like it's always there. Even when he's scowling, his it's not makeup on his face that's making him have this weird smile. It's it's a prosthetic. Like, behind the scenes, it's a prosthetic that's always there. And it's just really unsettling, especially when he's painted himself so that he still looks like a normal person, but you can still see the frozen smile on his face. Really yeah, creeps me yeah. out. No, that's fair. I, um... That's that's a much more cogent point than what I had. I was going to point out that something to take away from this movie. I mean, first is I forgot how much Prince was in this movie. 
just good heavens. Isn't he, like, um, the whole soundtrack? It's apparently there were two soundtracks released for this movie. There's the soundtrack soundtrack, and then the soundtrack is composed and arranged by Prince. Right. I, I listened to the whole story on a podcast. <laughs> I, it doesn't, anyway, it doesn't matter. But yeah, there was some issues about how they were going to make this soundtrack work. Um, more on point, I mean, what I always take away when I remember, like, what did the Joker do in the Batman movie? I remember the parade. Yeah. Like, where it's just, like, we get it. He's, he's doing the parade. He's told everyone he's going to give away all this money and he's going to gas them and kill them. It's a setup to draw out Batman. Fine. But they spend a lot of time having him just dance on the float. Dance to Prince. Music. To Prince. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you, like, they establish the parade. We see the balloons. We see the money. We get it. But no, the camera hangs for a while while he just parties. <laughs> and... Like you said, it, like because of the way he looks, it's kind of unsettling. But that, to me, I think was the most Joker part of that of that movie was like how delighted he was by everything that he was doing. Yeah. So I, I really bought that moment as opposed to all the the bloody. Uh, uh, you ever danced with the devil by the pale moonlight? It's like, all right, come, yeah, I get it. He's a bad guy. Yeah, I also am not a fan of how they tie him to to Bruce to Batman's origin by having him be the gangster that kills his parents. Uh, spoilers, yeah. I guess. But uh, for 1989, <laughs> do you know how long ago that was? Now I don't want to think about it. It's. Uh, uh, I don't need that, especially not from the Joker. I, I'm not a big fan of of all these villains being tied into someone's origin to a superhero's origin it's fine if they're just someone who's crazy and they show up later and and joker being a complete mystery and completely disconnected being entirely an agent of chaos versus batman being such an agent of order i think is a better a better mirror villain situation than than having them all be interconnected yeah, so spoiling a little bit later what's coming up on your list, I think. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that was the big flaw. I think if they, even in this movie, if they'd gone with all the same scenes and all the same casting, but they cut the Jack Napier stuff and just left the Joker stuff, I think that would have made the character a lot stronger. That being said, very cool portrayal. Jack Nicholson, as always, Jack Nicholson playing crazy is terrifying yeah. consistently. I, I got so, two more. I get it. Two more points I want to make. One, the another menacing part about the character that that sticks with me, especially it's something that I don't really think about connected to the character until I really watch it again and really remember. But it's it's his gangster mall, who I believe is played by Jerry Hall, and she he like disfigures her, and, and his relationship with her is very unsettling in a way that that movie now is sort of looked back on as kind of campy, but that relationship between the two of them is very abusive and dark and it's it really makes him seem more of a villain than he might otherwise have come across yeah and we're five or six years away from the first appearance of harley quinn right yeah i think though so that makes sense uh she shows up in early batman animated series and that started in 92 i think 92, yeah. My last point, which isn't really Joker-related, but it's just a strong memory I have. I was 10 or 11, probably older, but I'm going to skew younger to save myself further embarrassment. But I, I, at a garage sale, I got a novelization of the 1989 Batman, and I started reading it. And, you know, there's that first scene where Batman stops the robbers on the roof, and 
there was a line in that book where it's from the perspective of one of those guys who's these robbers who's getting caught by Batman, and it says he shits his pants. And I was young <laughs> enough that reading that, I was like, oh, that's a bad word. This isn't for me. This is too old for me. And I stopped reading. <laughs> <laughs> that's so sweet. <laughs> All right, now we can move on. Okay, so that covers both our number fives. Yeah, what's your number four? The Joaquin Phoenix Joker from the recent ah. movie. Okay, yeah, we got to talk about this. Um, minor spoiler alert. It's not even a spoiler. We got to stop doing that. But yeah, I, I watched it recently, and I it didn't make my list. Wow, interesting. I okay. So here's what I'll say about it. I think it's a fantastic portrayal, and his his performance is the thing that saves that movie. Otherwise, I find it kind of a derivative movie. It it takes all these things from a bunch of other movies from the 70s and 80s and just rehashes them and mashes them together, but I don't find it really says anything new. And that's what my my biggest problem with it, but he is fascinating to watch and to watch his his descent into further madness and and trying to figure out what is all in his head and what is stuff that's actually happening is really interesting too. But uh, so wh- why didn't it make your list? It didn't. I do agree with you. I think his performance was absolutely mesmerizing. I mean, I do think that the movie is a little slow at some points and I kind of wanted it to get on with it. But every time he's on camera, I was fascinated by his performance, by his mannerisms. I think he did an incredible performance of a mentally ill you know, criminal psychopath. I don't, I don't see any of the Joker in any of that. Hmm. I think like the closest thing they had to it was the constant laughter, which he did really well. It was a good Joker laugh, but everything else, it just seemed sort of forced. Like I feel like if the movie wasn't titled Joker and he didn't go talk to Bruce Wayne for no reason, like it would have been fine on its own as a movie about mental illness. It would have been Taxi just, Driver, though. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it very much would have been Taxi Driver. Um, I think it's disingenuous to even suggest that the Joker is like a hero of the downtrodden. And yes, I understand that the movie presented that as an ambiguous fact, but even to put it in there seems like doing a disservice to the character. And I and to the it, downtrodden. Well, yeah, that's fair. Um, and I thought that the character, the, the, he doesn't really do anything. Like, all the effort they go to to have him starting a movement, I felt like that was the movie was telling me that. It wasn't showing it. Like, they just kept reinforcing that, oh, yeah, all these oppressed people are dressing as clowns. And I kept thinking, why? Yeah. I didn't, I don't, I don't, I didn't buy that interpretation of the Joker. I liked, like, I liked his character, but I think the movie was a movie about Arthur Pleck. Right. Or Fleck? Um, I thought it was with the P, but... Eh, sure. <laughs> uh, the, the thing that I think would have helped in my estimation of the movie is if they had made him less sympathetic. Like, he's supposed to be a murdering crazy man. Like, you're not supposed to look at him and be like, ah, I understand him, and, and he's got depth. I don't want that in the Joker. There are many villains where that would apply, but... The the thing that, that the moment that I think would have made it a better movie for me, or at least a better portrayal of the Joker, 
is there's a scene where he's he's just killed this other comedian who was constantly or another clown who was constantly mocking him and and bullying him and he kills him and there's a a a little person clown who's there too and he was never mean to the joker and he lets him live and lets him leave but kill him you i don't want joker to be sympathetic and i don't want him to be predictable it's predictable to let the guy go who wasn't mean to him I, kill him. Make Joker utterly unsympathetic. That is what I want in a supervillain. Yep, I would have done that. I also would have changed the what people are calling the Oscar awarding scene where, where he gives his dramatic speech and then kills Robert De Niro. That was ridiculous. The Joker isn't passionate about societal inequality. Yeah. Like, like... The the Joker would have been there, like would have killed him with the joy buzzer and laughed about it because what a great joke! That's how the Joker would have handled that situation. I understand from the movie what's why Arthur Pleck did it that way, but I just that's not the character at all. And I'm I mean I when I say I watched it recently, I mean literally I just saw it for the first time re- recently. And I totally get why it's winning awards. Like, it's a beautiful movie and a brilliant performance. But I do not get at all why people like that portrayal of the Joker. I barely see the Joker in there. Hmm. I just see a crazy person who happens to be dressed similarly to the Joker. Yeah, and and I guess that's something we should touch on. Uh, All of these interpretations of the Joker, they all do the face a little differently. And I thought this was a nice touch. It it felt sufficiently 80s and unique but you also still got the sense of the traditional joker um i i liked it but you know he doesn't have the scars or the mangled face that has become more of a a staple of the character yeah but i feel like i don't need that i mean i don't listen i'm in here harping on it for a while i mean tell us a little more like you you see you liked it because of because of joaquin phoenix's performance but like why is this joker superior to jack nicholson's joker um, because I think he's crazier. I think that he is a little less predictable, um, and he he definitely has things that he wants, but they're seated they're they're seated in in delusions. Whereas I never got that impression from from Jack Nicholson's Joker, like his insanity manifested in just finding weird things funny. But he still wanted money. He still wanted power and control. This guy wanted, I guess, respect and friendship, but went about it in very unsettling, weird ways. So I like that. He's he's a little less understandable, but I still wish they hadn't made him sympathetic in the in the long run. Okay, I can follow that. That's fair. So what's your number four? I'm dying to know. My number four, this is sort of an offbeat one, so I know it's not on your <laughs> list. Uh, my number four is the Richard Epcard Joker from the, the NetherRealm Studios series of video games. The Joker who shows up in the Injustice video games and in the Mortal Kombat video games. Really? Yeah. The, I mean, because this is, let me go into a description, because I know not everyone's going to be following this right away. Um, Richard Epcard is the voice actor, and he's essentially doing a Joker of the Animated Series Joker. That's So that's the Joker that you're getting. Um, it's 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 not bad. It's not you know, but it's it's a poor man's Mark Hamill impersonation. But what happens is that it's an animated series Joker, but with violence. 
And as stupid and kind of silly as that sounds, I think that ad that I think that's an important component to the character. Like you see Joker giggling a lot, and I think we'll talk about it more when we're talking about Batman the Animated Series, because of course we everybody knows we're gonna be talking about that later. But there was only so much they could do with Joker when your target audience like shops at Toys R Us, you know? Right. In, you know, in Mortal Kombat, like, the Joker will, will giggle and tell a joke, and then he'll stab you. He'll decapitate someone, he'll light them on fire, and still be delighted. And I, but I think that horrifying, what's the word I'm looking for, like, dichotomy between the two is a key to the Joker. Like, that's what keeps him not sympathetic. Yes. Yeah, you know? I agree. Now, some of the performance is still, like, it's still the funny Joker. There's there's a great bit I love in the first Injustice. It's the, the setting of the Injustice games are where, like, Superman is now the evil president of Earth, the evil dictator, and everyone else is, like, the Justice League is rebelling against him. And Batman and Wonder Woman end up unexpectedly on the side of the Joker. And, of course, they, they hate that situation. So Joker just... <sighs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin it because I can't do the performance. But Joker comes wandering up to them and goes, Hey, gang! You know, he's all being friendly. What do we do now? Anyone up for pancakes? <laughs> and Wonder Woman grabs him and, like, cuffs him with the, with the lasso. And he turns to Batman aggrieved and just with so much passion in his voice says, Why does she hate pancakes? <laughs> I mean, that feels like, very much like the Mark Hamill animated series Joker. Yeah, it's that, but just a moment before that, like, you know, he'd beat the crap out of, Haw- I think it's Hawk Girl, and had started to cut off her wings with his <laughs> knife. Yikes. Like, right? Like, and that kind of horrifying A to B, I think, is a key component of what makes the Joker the Joker. And they do that in the game design. All his stuff is constant. Like, all his moves in the game are... Like, he has a gun that's hidden in a Batman puppet, and when he uses it, he's impersonating Batman's voice. He's like, I'll save the day! And he waves a little Batman puppet around and shoots with it. He's like... he's he, like He'll decapitate people with a, a cane that he's using as a golf club. He's got a finishing move where he empties a can of gas onto the ground and lights it on fire, and the, the opponent gets caught in the flames. But then he goes in to hug the charred corpse, and he like sort of poses like it's a picture or like a couple's photo. Like, it really distressing stuff. That kind of distressing is what I think is really important to the Joker. And I, I sound kind of like a crazy person myself, <laughs> describing how much I love all these horrible, violent things. I don't. I'm not going to do that. But that, I think, is a key component to the character. And because those NetherRealm Studio game, NetherRealm Studios games, like they're basically Warner Brothers' in-house video game company for the fighting game genre, because they have as much story and dialogue as they do actually fun fighting, you get a really good look at it. Now, my, if I remember correctly, the the reason Superman's the bad guy in this is didn't Joker sort of trick him into killing Lois? Killing Lois, uh, yeah, he, he, he tricks Superman into killing Lois and setting off an atomic bomb that destroys Metropolis. Yeah, that'll and do it. And Superman, yeah, Superman can't handle it and goes crazy evil. So the other thing about it, the, the reason it didn't make my list, um, or part of the reason it didn't make my list, and, and it's, I, I haven't played the first one in a long time, but I've been playing the second one off and on for years, and Joker's got a real sort of a punk anarchic vibe to him or, or the way he dresses right does that yeah the look in this the look in injustice 2 yeah isn't so good 
That's, yeah. That's fair. Where he's got, like, no shirt on and a leather jacket and, and he's got all these tattoos. And, and it's similar to why I don't think the Jared Leto one makes my list is it's too, I don't know. It, it's the wrong look. Yeah. It's, it's like like the way they made Jack Nicholson too much of a gangster. Like, yeah, they made him look like too much of a punk icon. Right. Yeah, no, gr- graduate yourself to Mortal Kombat 11. I mean, besides the fact that it's the latest, greatest fighting game these guys make, like, the dress-up is a big part of it. You can get, like, he's got his killing joke hat you can find. And just, <laughs> uh, there's all kinds of ways you can you can dress him up however you want to make him the most joker. I have to admit that the dress-up in Injustice 2 is half the reason I keep coming back to it, and, and it's uh, a very weird thing to be saying, but, but there we are. <laughs> we love costumes. All right, should we move on? Yeah, what's your number three? Uh, it goes back many, many years, perhaps, I believe, to the first live-action portrayal. Caesar Romero as the Bat- as the Batman 66 Joker. Also didn't make my list, what? but I totally get... I know, I, I know. I am literally wearing a Caesar Romero Joker t-shirt right now. I put it on by accident, and then when I realized what we were doing today, I was like, this is too perfect. I'm surprised that's not your number one, frankly. But really? please, walk us, th- walk us through it. Okay, so for one thing, I just love the Adam West Batman series. I, I've loved it since I was a little kid, and there were reruns on TV, and I took it super seriously and was very concerned about the safety of Batman and Robin and how they were going to defeat these villains with the zany cliffhangers. But as time has gone on, and I, I went through the various phases of that I think every child goes through with Batman where you realize it's silly, and then you realize it's silly on purpose and get a new appreciation for it, I just love his portrayal the laugh the unrestrained laugh that he does it set the tone for what joker could be uh the makeup is amazing the hair is amazing the fact that he refused to shave his mustache and you can see that under the white face paint is amazing i was i was gonna ask you about that i didn't want to interrupt but is that like did the actor refuse to shave the mustache because like or was that part of the costume is he didn't think the joker would shave it like so Why did he face paint over his mustache? In my research for this, I, I watched a bit of a documentary about uh, Mr. Romero, and he got into show business at a very young age, and he met this older woman, and they were a double act for a little while, and she suggested he grow the mustache, and it, it aged him up a bit and made him look a bit more suave, and so it made his career, or he felt it made his career. So the legend is, he refused to shave the mustache because that's what got him into show business. Hmm. Okay, I can see being paranoid about that. And he it's crazy to to look back at him in other movies where he's unrecognizable as this sort of suave Latin lover who dances amazingly and has had this long career, never as a leading man, but always sort of the second man in a movie. And, and he is just, you wouldn't believe that he was capable of the insanity that comes from the, the Joker in the, the Batman TV series. His delivery is one of a kind, you know? There, There's a couple of different interpretations of the Joker that set the tone for years to come afterwards. Uh, we're going to get to it, I'm sure, but the Mark Hamill Joker, we'll talk in more depth, but once that he did that voice, that set a tone. And the Cesar Romero one set a tone as well, but I think it was a lot harder to emulate. Just the way he went from highs to lows, this weird accent he had that sort of indefinable... Uh, and and the way he clapped and rubbed his hands together, it's such an iconic performance, and I love every minute of it. Whenever he's on screen, 
He's he's one of the best villains. Whenever there was a Joker episode, you knew it was going to be a good one. <laughs> That's fair. And admittedly, my my strongest memories of Cesar Romero's Joker are when he's. I feel like he's being done dirty a little, or it's more for comic effect than dramatic effect. And that's maybe difficult to distinguish in the 66 Batman, where it's all over the top. But, you know, there's a famous shot of him, like, when they're in the surfing competition, and he's wearing swim trunks over the Joker outfit. Um, I also remember there's one where I think, like, he finds the Batcave, or he's close to it. Like, he gets onto the pole, and he's going to head down, but then Alfred pushes a button that, like reverses him and jets him back up the pole and like and he's all scared now like, get me off this crazy thing but alfred just keeps up and down and up and down on the pole like i don't remember that joker being a serious villain like i remember only the funny stuff well i'll, I'll tell you that none of the villains are serious villains Okay, but is there like is there ever any point where the, like is, can, they're considered threatening in the least? Or I mean, there's there are so many insane death traps that he comes up with to defeat Batman. Uh, there's I think he had one where it's a giant Venus flytrap that's going to eat them, and the, an episode ends like that. Uh, he's there's there's always threats, but they never amount to anything. In that episode that you talked about with the surfing competition. He has Batman and Robin flattened and turned into surfboards, and then they punch out of it, and they're fine. But there, there is threats of physical violence that happen. They're just, you know, it's very much a campy kids show, and, and the threat of violence doesn't last very long and isn't actually that threatening. But you still rank it above the other Jokers who had a little more... You know, a little more punch to them. Yeah, I, I think the context matters a lot, and I think when you come to the performance, he he has a similar insanity, and he's just so committed to the role, and he's he's a great he plays off of Adam West and Burt Ward so well that I I just love seeing him, and and again the laughter and his voice is iconic. It just. I can hear it in my head, which I guess isn't a good sign that I'm hearing the Joker's voice in my head. <laughs> but I I love that portrayal. And and even though he's not especially menacing, he is just that's not what he was meant to be necessarily. So I appreciate him for what he is. And you know, I mean, you're much more into the 66 than I am. I I I have definitely not even seen half the episodes, but I, I can hear the laugh too. It doesn't happen randomly, so maybe you should get that checked out. But when you mention his laugh, yeah, I know what that sounds like, and that is pretty dramatic. And and I have to say, going back to the surfing episode, some people think of the silliness of Batman and Joker having a surfing contest with swim trunks over their regular costumes as the low point of the series. But to me, there's something sublime about that. It's so crazy. And, and the fact that they take it seriously and no one makes a second thought about it. Of course, they would have a surfing competition where they have bathing suits over their costumes. That makes perfect sense. I love that. That is peak Batman 66 to me. You're all in. That's I, I get it. Okay. All right. So what's your number three? My number three was Batman was the Dark Knight was Heath Ledger's Joker. All right. Well, we'll uh, we will fun. get to that later. So maybe we pause on put a pin in that one. Yeah, I figured that had to be on your <laughs> list somewhere, too. All right. What's your number two? My number two is the Mark Hamill Joker. That my number two is the Mark Hamill Batman the Animated Series. Very intriguing, and and I want to specify it's the Mark Hamill from the animated series and, and the various 
shows that are connected directly with that. His appearances in Superman, Justice League, The New Adventures of Batman and, and Superman, those shows in particular. Mask of the Phantasm, yeah. Batman Beyond. Sub-Zero, yeah. Batman Beyond for sure. Um, but I'm not including the Arkham games or the Killing Joke movie, to be specific here. Because okay. to me... Once he starts swearing, once there's ultraviolence related to that Joker, I'm less interested. It doesn't feel right to me. Do, how do you feel? I want to. I want to hear your. Take I mean, on it. I do feel like the the reason that Mark Hamill's Batman is at my number two is because I do feel like that Joker suffers from being neutered, from being for a kid's audience. You know, he like the Joker can't kill anyone. He can barely hurt anyone. I think occasionally, like he'll he'll like you know, drop someone in a thing of acid, or they always turn out to be okay, or it's very much off camera. It's I, I feel like that's the only flaw in it. And I don't want to go into the flaws without talking about all the wonderful right, right, right. stuff that Mark Hamill does. Mark Hamill's portrayal of the Joker is 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 incredible, and he and like, God, do yourself a favor sometime and. Google up, like, see if you can find an interview or something with Hamill where they have footage of him recording the voice. Because he doesn't just sit in a chair and talk into a microphone. He acts it out. He bounces around there at the microphone and makes the faces and is waving his arms around. It is a 150% performance at all times. And that is exactly what that character deserves. And and as much as we talk about the... Uh the faces of the jokers and the the makeup on them the laughs are also an important part and mark hamill doesn't just have one joker laugh he's got like five or six and they all mean different things there's a one where it seems like a genuine laugh at a joke and then there's a menacing one and there's it's just there's so much nuance to it and he's got this arsenal of laughs never mind the rest of his performance it's amazing it's just and it's just and everything that happens to him and everything he does, he's always delighted by it. Like even the laughs that are supposed to be like more his intimidating laugh, his you know something's about to go down laugh. You always get the impression that the character is having a wonderful time, and because of that, you're having a wonderful time because it's impossible not to laugh with him, even when he's committing crimes. And it helps that you know the, the crimes are toned down for kids because you don't feel bad. Uh, but it's just he is delighted and delightful for every one of these products over decades now that he's been doing this character's voice. And and I think another thing that sets him apart, and this is going to be weird to say, but way too many of the Jokers aren't actually funny. You know, a lot of people write for him and give jokes for him, and they never quite land or it feels forced. Even with the bad jokes, Mark Hamill's delivery... you. Even if you don't find it especially funny, you can tell the character does, and that adds to it. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that's how it reads to me, and and I think that's a great side of the performance. Oh, absolutely! I think that's coming. Like that comes through. Like the fact that the performer is having as good a time as the character is having, and especially in that world where he's the only character really like that. You know, I mean, like, don't get me wrong, like, Kevin Conroy's Batman in that series is a phenomenal performance as well, but Batman is a monotone character. I think if we were to rank Batman performances, his would be on there, uh, on our list as well, but I hear what you're saying. He, he There is range to it, but it's a much more narrow range. 
Yeah, exactly. Occasionally, he's like grimly satisfied, and that's as close as he gets. <laughs> I, I think how happy the Joker is. I mean, again, this isn't a Batman list, but I, I think one of the things that Kevin Conroy does so well is distinguish between Bruce Wayne and Batman. It's two different voices, but you know, enough about Kevin Conroy. He's going to get his own yeah. podcast someday. Mark Hamill Probably. is is uh, uh, is phenomenal at this. Can you remember when you found out it was Luke Skywalker doing the voice of the Joker? No, the knowledge grew organically. I, I remember knowing both, and I remember thinking, wow, that's neat, but I, I, there was no, like, I am your father moment of discovery. For me, I I have, I don't really remember exactly when I found out that it was Mark Hamill. I remember it being a shock, but I remember one of the first times I the, a voice actor registered with me was when he did the voice of the Hobgoblin on the animated Spider-Man series, which was on at the same time, and it was just the Joker's voice, and I was like, oh, well, that's kind of lazy. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, when I, I do remember that sort of world-turning-upside-down moment of finding out it was Luke Skywalker doing the voice of the Joker because it's it's so far out of that Luke Skywalker role. It doesn't sound anything like it. It doesn't sound anything like anything. And frankly, he, he uh, Kevin Conroy, if you keep talking about him, is great, but he steals that show. All the other, like, it's a broad rogues gallery, and all the rest of them are, frankly, kind of annoying and samey. I would argue that the one other one, I mean, okay, Harley Quinn, she debuted in the Batman animated series, and she's a sure, fantastic character, and even though she's tied directly with Joker, she is so much her own person in that series and beyond. The other one is Mr. Freeze, where he got his defining origin from that series, and, and it's a portrayal that's unlike other Mr. Freeze portrayals, I mean... <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger being the most memorable one, I suppose. But his—that's unfortunate. <laughs> his that I don't know the the name of the actor who does Mister Freeze on that series, but his monotone delivery was always really good. And and the the episode where you find out why he's a villain, the pa- pathos yeah, but, in that was really great. But again, it's mostly monotone. It's the same yeah. thing as Batman. It's a very narrow range. Like a lot of it. I mean, it's a cartoon. It's not supposed to be sophisticated and full of depth. But a lot of the characters in that show, like, you know, you could swap their motivations and their actors around and you wouldn't really notice. Yeah, that's But fair. the Joker stands out. Now, we're, we're heaping all this praise on it. I do want to circle back really quickly. I do think that the character is hamstrung by the limitations of being on a children's cartoon. Like, there are a lot of scenes that, like, there's, there's one that keeps coming up like, where he's in the asylum with Poison Ivy and they're arguing over the television. Right, and he's and he's teasing her, and the guard has to be like, "Okay, you two get along now." And it's like the Joker's not going to put up with that, <laughs> but it's funny. It's a funny scene for the kids. I get there's, there's a famous one where he, I feel like it was a multi episode arc, but maybe it's just my memory. But the Joker becomes like an ultra millionaire, but at the end he's foiled because he has to pay most of it in taxes. And he has this funny line where he says, like, he's crazy enough to take on Batman, but the IRS, <laughs> no thank you. It's like, okay, Classic. I, I get it. I, I get it, but I just, like, I do feel like that's that's kind of weak. And again, I'm, I've am i been viewing these, I, I try to take them from the context that they're presented in. And within that context, he's still the most dangerous villain, I think, on that series. Because he's so unpredictable and, and you don't know what you're going to get from him, whereas Two-Face, Riddler, Mr. Freeze, their their motivations are 
standard, but you never know what Joker's going to do from episode to episode, and that makes his episodes stand out and be more interesting, and Mark Hamill, like you said, really owns it. And, and did you know that Mark Hamill wasn't originally cast as Joker? There was someone else? I, I thought it was Tim Curry. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. They had actually recorded at least one full episode with Tim Curry and then decided it wasn't working. And then Mark Hamill had to come in and he dubbed over it. It, it, They didn't, like, reanimate it to suit his performance. So in that first episode, he is sort of hamstrung by the performance that Tim Curry delivered and was animated for. It's kind of fascinating behind-the-scenes stuff, but maybe too behind-the-scenes. Yeah, not really what we're getting into right (laughs) now. Uh, Both are number two, Mark Hamill's performance of the Joker probably the most distinctive one like probably like well i guess we both have number ones so we'll see but But he he also as we mentioned a bit before he set the tone uh there are so many other actors who've come since where they're and it's not fair to them really but it feels like they're doing imitations of his joker john dimaggio michael richardson uh jeff bennett they all i mentioned richard epcar for the video game right yeah he's doing mark hamill and it's it sucks for them, but it's such a long shadow that Mark Hamill's cast that it, it's you have to do that voice now because that's what people expect. I love it. Anyway, yeah, let's move on to our number ones. Okay, um, I I based on what we've discussed, I think I've deduced that your number one is probably Heath Ledger. It is indeed Heath Ledger from All The right. Dark Knight. That was my number three, so let's let's roll right into it. Okay, I, I'll I'll just say off the bat, this is. It might be my favorite movie. Not just, like, superhero movie, but The Dark Knight, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight with Christian Bale and Heath Ledger. It might be my favorite movie I've ever seen. I feel like every time I watch it, as it's coming to an end, I think to myself, I could start this movie again right now, and I wouldn't have a problem with it. And I've, I have think that of so few movies. I don't think I think of it of any other movie. It's the only movie I feel like I could watch on loop for ages and never get bored of it. Yeah, that's that's. I don't think I love it that much, but I I hear you. It's it's a great movie. And but tell me about tell me about the Joker. Well, Heath Ledger's take on the Joker is is exactly the version of the Joker that I think I like the most. So long as we're talking about a mature version of the character, one that's pitched at adults, where he has no discernible origin, he comes on the scene and just messes stuff up and is chaotic and you don't know how much is planned or how much is improvised. He's also funny and has no inhibitions. And the way he dresses, it's clearly he's not trying to follow any sort of style. He's got this, but it's also clearly the Joker. And it's such a good performance. It, it like Mark Hamill's take on it, it makes you forget about everything else the actor has done in any other movie because it's so uniquely new and, and purely the Joker. No, I, I, I buy that. There's something about Heath Ledger's performance that is haunting. Um, the, that he's, he doesn't seem real. And in the same way that Joaquin Phoenix just had weird mannerisms and things that sort of set him apart. Like, Heath Ledger does the same thing. He's got, with, with, like, he's twitchy, and he's licking his lips all the time, and it just, like, the makeup is just the makeup, but you still get the impression that the, that this isn't really a human being. Yeah, I, I think he brings everything, he, he owns that movie. It's almost more of a Joker movie than a Batman movie. I, I can, I know Batman's in it, but when I think of that movie, I really am thinking of all of these 
iconic Joker scenes from the disappearing pencil trick to the money on fire to the hanging from the rooftop of the construction building. All of that stuff is so Joker-centric, and that's what I first think of when, when this movie comes to mind. Now, you had it at your number one, I had it at my number three. So let me hit you with my down notes, and then you tell me what you think. The, the reason this is at my number three is this is almost the opposite of the animated series Joker to me, where I feel like he's almost too dark and not delighted enough. I think there are a lot of scenes with this Joker. I mean, a great way to example, exemplify it is when we first really see him and he does, like, when the gang members are all meeting, it looks like they're in a lunchroom or something, and then we hear the laugh from off camera. And it's not really a laugh. Like, it's creepy and unsettling, but it's him saying, ha, 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 he, he, right. who, who. <laughs> like, I, like, I thought that was creepy, I thought it was unnerving, I thought it was a great performance, but I don't buy that he's enjoying the joke. I agree, I would think that, uh, you're right on that, there, you're, he has this blankness behind his eyes, this hollowness, and I would say the only time where you sort of get a sense that he might be enjoying himself is when he's dressed as the nurse. Yeah, that, and he also does a lot of, like, cackling when he's getting beat up by Batman in the interrogation room. Yeah, or uh, or in that final scene where he, he's trying to get Batman to, well, he's hanging from the, the building, and he's trying to convince Batman that the people in the boats are going to kill each other. There's a, a glee to his performance there. You're right, though. That is something that is missing from the performance for the most part. He's not a Joker that's having a good time. Yeah, and I don't think that... Like, I feel like saying it's missing from the performance is a little negative. Like, I don't think it was supposed to be there. That wasn't the performance he was going for. But I do think it's a key part of the Joker that's missing. Like, he he seems... Like, ironically, he seems really serious and that he's trying really hard to enact this complicated plan despite telling people why so serious and I'm not the kind of guy who has plans. He clearly does... And it's clearly important to him, and it turns into kind of a... It's almost like a Loki thing. Like, okay, what part of the plan is this wheel? Right. And where I think I might disagree is I don't know how important it is to him. Like, he's got a, a plan, and I agree. There's There maybe are too many wheels within wheels, especially when you watch the movie and you really try and think through what is going on, which I don't recommend. I say just buckle in and enjoy the <laughs> ride. But... Uh, at the end, he doesn't seem disappointed that he's being foiled at all. It just seems like, well, on to the next thing. Do you ever get the impression that he's he feels like he's missing something? Or, or when, when the plan doesn't work, that he's really been defeated? Well, kind of, yeah. Like that scene you're talking about when the, the people on the boats don't blow each other up. And he grumbles to himself, you, know, you, gotta do, you want something done right, you gotta do it yourself. But the whole, like, Batman gets it more than he does, almost. Like, Batman says, like, what, you wanted to, like, you wanted to prove that everyone's like you? They're not. You're the crazy person. Other people are normal. Like, in the end, it comes, and like, he sort of gets his, you know, he gets to have his cake at the end because he turned Harvey Dent into Two-Face. But yeah. again, like that's like when, during the dramatic, like the turning of Harvey Dent, that's when he gives his I don't have a plan montage. And then at the end of the movie, he tells Batman, oh, yeah, you have to have an ace in a hole. This was my plan all along. Yeah. It's like, well, cle like he's he's said all that, that all that up. And it just the the I mean, I know how this sounds, but like the joy of it is gone. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that's all very fair. Um, but it doesn't detract from it for me. I, I can no, see it's that, still an incredible performance. Yeah. And it, yeah. And I can see it all objectively. And I've seen the, you know, cinema sins or the honest trailers or whatever that try and sort of undercut the movie. And it never works for me. Like, it never stops me from enjoying it. it, it even though I can see the potential, the small flaws in it. it, it like, in... Skyfall. When you really start to think about the villain in that, his plans within plans that all rely on crazy timing or coincidences, it detract that detracts from the movie for me. But it doesn't happen with the Dark Knight. Every time I see it, I still enjoy every second of it, and I love just going along with it and seeing where it's going to go. Even though I know where it's going to go, I I am able to shut off this critical side of my brain and just enjoy the ride. I, and I do agree with you, but I think that's as much the rest of the movie and the rest of the characters as it is the Joker. That's fair. And I agree. Like I don't think a happier Joker would have worked in that setting. You know, the Chris Nolan Batman movies are very grim. They're very dark. Like I don't know that the, that Mark Hamill's Joker would have fit in. Like Heath Ledger's Joker was probably the way to do it. So I am not faulting the performance, the character in any way. But it's not my favorite Joker. Totally fair. I am very curious to hear what your number one is, and I'm terrified it's going to be like Jared Leto or something. <laughs> no, 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 no. I God, I was extremely disappointed by who who wasn't. Yeah. Like, that's not a thing. Um, but no, my number one Joker. Um, kind of a cheat because we already talked about Mark Hamill, but very specifically, Mark Hamill's performance as the Joker in Batman: Arkham Knight the 2013 conclusion to the Arkham series of Batman video games. This is very precise. Very precise. Because I feel like this hits the, just holy crap, the exact perfect Joker that I want. Spoilers for these games. The Batman Arkham games are maybe the ultimate video game experience of like making you feel like you are Batman. They are a fun to play for the most part, um, and also a great Batman story. These games were written and directed by Paul Dini, who wrote and directed the animated series. Like they, Kevin Conroy does Batman, Mark Hamill does the Joker. Like they, they pulled out all the stops for these. So if you're super into Batman but you haven't played these, please stop listening right now and go play them. If you don't care that much, a little bit of background. There's there's four of these games, and Arkham Knight is the last one. At the it, the, the previous game was a dramatic storytime showdown between Joker and Batman, and it ends with Joker's death, where Joker was messing around with Bane's, like, venom fluid or whatever, and Joker toxin, and ended up poisoning himself. But before he died, he infected other people with it. And when this game starts, we see that Batman is sort of taking care of these people who are infected, who are sort of manifesting the Joker. It's like they're potential new Jokers. And then there's a big twist in the middle where it turns out Batman's infected too. And so what essentially happens in the storytelling is it's like Batman is possessed by the Joker. Interesting. And so you play through this game, there's a big, like, Scarecrow is the big bad guy, pretty much, in this one, and the, the new Arkham Knight character, which might circle back to, but everything, like, imagine everything Batman does in one of his darker stories, and Mark Hamill's Joker is living in his head and just constantly haranguing him. 
with the benefit of a 17 and up audience. <laughs> it is unbelievable. Like, he gets over the whole, like, he, you know, he takes a little bit of joy. Like, now he knows who he is. Like, well, you know, quote, air quotes here, because it's not really the Joker. It's this Joker-esque, you know, perception in Batman's head. Uh, but so he's, you know, he's has fun calling him Bruce for a while. But then there are things like Oracle plays a big part in this game. So at one point, Batman starts hallucinating and it's reviewing the killing joke from Joker's point of view. Hmm. And you go through that. But then for the rest of the game, he's just needling Batman all the time. Batman's running off to go save her because she's been kidnapped. And Joker points out, well, you can't save all of her anyway. I killed half of her already. Oof. Right? Dark. And... Yeah, extremely dark. And what it gets down to is that it's sort of up to the audience's perception, but it's like what's happening, like if you were going to call it you know, scientifically, logically, is Batman is going crazy. But the way it's manifesting in the storytelling is that Joker wants to like take over Batman's body and he's trying to force Batman to be more like him. So like a lot of it, he's, he's constantly trying to force Batman to kill all the thugs and the idea being that Batman will become the new Joker, and this Joker living in his head will take over. The performance is Mark Hamill, with a laugh and the con- you know and the constant jokes and actually really funny stuff. But it's got a darker, more mature tone because it's intended for people, you know, a teenage audience and up. So he can crack jokes like that at the Oracle's expense, and he does that to everybody, even to the other villains but just constantly taking what Batman is doing and thinking and turning it against him. And the denouement of it, uh, you know, it finally comes down to uh, in Batman's head and the, the battle between these two ideologies is phenomenal. And even though that our, the, even though the motto of our podcast used to be spoiler <laughs> alert, I don't want to spoil how it ends. If you want to spoil it for yourselves, you can Google the climax of Arkham Knight. It, but the, like the final boss battle takes place in Batman's brain, and it's just—it's incredible. Now, would you say that this would be the ultimate capper of the Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill, Batman Joker relationship? Absolutely. Uh, in a way that Killing Joke sort of did. They like everything about the history between these two people comes to a head here and the Arkham games are like very very they're a compressed universe right the like the Arkham prequel game Arkham Origins takes place when Batman is still an unknown a vigilante like and the police are just starting to figure out who he is and at the end of Arkham Knight Batman's identity is exposed to the world and he has to fake his own death <laughs> like it's it's the beginning and the end of Batman's story over the course of these games like it's all wrapped up and so much of it has to do and is caused by the relationship between these two characters. And having those two famous voice actors do it is great. Kevin Conroy plays his Kevin Conroy. It's Batman. That's that's who he is. But doing the Mark Hamill Joker, but giving him that little extra run to be darker and more adult, and giving him access to everything that Batman is... And, frankly, taking him out of the running in the sense of being, you know, the real villain. Like, it's... Joker's not a video game boss. You know, you're not going to have a dramatic fist fight with him. Yeah, unless they fill him with venom and he becomes super muscly, dot, dot, dot. Exactly. (laughs) In this one, no, he's just there taking everything Batman is and tearing it down piece by piece the entire time. 
and loving it. A big part of this game is Joker forcing Batman to like see Joker's memories of him torturing Jason Todd. Mm. He's captured him and tortures it. Just and it's horrifying from Batman's perspective. But and then through like even when the parts like you're playing the game doing something else and Joker's just commenting idly about how like all the people you love tend to end up dead or kidnapped or paralyzed or mutilated. Like boy, isn't that just just constantly on you? I, that is the perfect end to that like that relationship we've seen between these two voices. That Joker is by I think the ultimate expression of that character. Now, That's everything the Joker wanted. And, bleh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done wreck, please. <laughs> See, for me, the reason that those games didn't rate for me and how I specifically excluded them from my version of the, the portrayal of Joker is, is, to me, the Kevin Conroy Batman and the Mark Hamill Joker are specifically from the context of that animated series. And when they went to the video games, and it's the same voices, and I, I love the idea of it, but... The games are too extreme for those voices, I feel. Like, to me, those voices are meant for kids 12 and under or for a universe that's geared towards people of that age. And to see them in a world, like, the scene that really stands out to me is there's a moment, I think in the second one, where Two-Face is just making these weird sexual harassy comments towards Catwoman. And I was like, I don't, I don't want that in this universe. I don't need Two-Face catcalling or threatening sexual violence to Catwoman from a cartoon universe. And that's what what those voices signal in me. It's like a Pavlovian response. When I hear Kevin Conroy and Mark hmm. Hamill doing those voices, I expect a kiddier version of the characters. And I'm not saying I don't want to see Batman, a version of Batman in that sort of setting or fighting characters in that sort of way. But I don't want to hear those voices doing it. I I mean, I categorically... Well, I, I don't disagree in that I think you're wrong, but I disagree in that, that's, that I was delighted to see that they were able to age it up. That they were able to take those characters... Like, when I was a kid, I watched them when I was a kid. Now that I'm an adult, I want them to be more adult, too. And... And yeah, there are, you know what? There are a lot of things about those games to complain about, but the 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 performance of those characters to me was not one of them. It, it was the logical conclusion of everything I wanted from that. And frankly, I mean, I do stand by. I don't think Mark Hamill's Joker would have worked for the Christopher Nolan movies, but that portrayal of it more, like where he's still more delighted, but also sadistic. I think might have served the Dark Knight better than Heath Ledger's. It's a, it's a tough call. Yeah. I'm just but. saying, it's like I wouldn't want to see Adam West and Cesar Romero reenacting the, the killing joke, you know? I, I don't mind seeing an interpretation of that or reading the comic book or anything like that. I think there's a, a definitely a space for it. But I don't want to see Cesar Romero shooting Yvonne Craig through the spine and and the guy who played Commissioner Gordon on the old series naked in a cage. Like, I don't need to see that child, that version of those characters in that setting. I, I think it would be, it would feel wrong to me in the same way that the, the this felt wrong to me. Hmm. I feel that way, too, about the 66 one. I wonder if it's a distinction between having live actors and having voice acting. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, something that might make another podcast episode, I suppose. <laughs> For now, that is both our lists. Um, do we want to circle back briefly to the killing joke? 
Uh, sure. Let's. I want to hear what you got to say. It sounds like you had some serious thinking about it. I mean, the Killing Joke is probably Joker's. Like you said, it's probably his most famous moment. And like you said, a lot of it has to do more with the Gordons, of what happens to Barbara and the pressure it puts on Commissioner Gordon. But I did like the... Like, it kind of feels like Joker is bearing his soul at the end. Like, he's done all of this to set Batman up to get him to have the one bad day that he had that turned him into the Joker. Sort of the same way that Heath Ledger does in the movie. He's trying to say, like, other people are like me. It's just that they haven't gone through yeah. the same things that I have. And I, I do think that's a really powerful moment. In the end, I think that's really the only powerful part of the whole story i it's like, been a is, long time since i've read that I, I read it the once and it was i i the thing that always stood out to me as being the best part of it was the art brian boland's art is incredible and i i will read anything with his art in it and alan moore is an unqualified genius when it comes to writing that being said the his take on batman isn't my headcanon version of Batman. Like, my I, the version of Batman that I grew up with is the unflappable, has thought of everything, super genius Batman. And so having a Batman who is flustered or doesn't fully get what's going on doesn't work for me the way it might for other people. So for that reason, that that story doesn't stand out to me the way it does for other people. And I know there's other there are people who really detest that story for the the sexual violence or the implied sexual violence in it and the violence towards women in it and and I think that's reasonable as well. Yeah, no, those are all those are all good points. Um, I, I do think it's worth acknowledging as part of the Joker's history, but yeah, in the end, it wasn't one of the key portrayals for me. It wasn't one of the key moments. So I acknowledge it's important, but yeah, problematic and maybe a little overhyped. So. Um, I don't know. Are we wrong? Is there something about the Joker we forgot? Let us know. All kinds of ways you can get a hold of us. Please hit us up on email at geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5. We're on Twitter at geektop5, and we've got a whole comment section on our website, geektop5.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening. And extra special thanks to Jamie Reum, our musician-in-chief. Uh, Reum is spelled R-E-A-U-M-E. Find him on YouTube at Jamie Reum Official or on Instagram at Jamie underscore Reum. He's a musician. He's a performer. He's a super music geek. All kinds of cool stuff there uh, for you to check out. That can keep you busy uh, until, we, until our next episode. So uh, until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again soon.